Okay. Um, so Parshas Vaera. Parshas Vaera, uh, dominated by the Makos. Um, super quick recap, probably the fastest recap we've ever done. Hashem reveals himself to the, uh, talks to Moshe, says, I revealed myself to the Avos with one name, but I didn't tell him the other name. We'll have to talk about that in a second. Uh, you have the four expressions of redemption, right? Vatseti, Vitsalti, Vilakakti, Vigalti. Veiveti uh, that we they, we have in the in the Haggadah, uh, the Torah recaps Moshe's family, um, and then you know Moshe a couple of times says I don't I don't know how you expect me to go to Paro, I'm Aral Svasayim I can't talk etc. And then full blown Makos one through seven. Uh, that's the entirety. Uh, that's basically the entirety of the parsha. So while there, I feel, I'm not going to really talk about the Makos so much because I feel like most of the Torah in this part, right, you know, most of the different Torah talk about the Makos. So I'll try and I'll, I'll mention one thing, but I'll dance around it and I'll, we'll talk about a couple other things um, with the parsha. So first of all, the, the parsha starts Vaera. Meaning, what is what's what's Vaera? So like, what is that? What, is, what does that mean? So the Puzzle, just to quote the first two psukim, the Puzzle says, Vaidebera Lokim el Moshe, Vayomar elav ani Hashem. Right? Elokim, God, spoke to Moshe, and he said to him, I am Hashem. Right? Again, you immediately you notice two different names of Hashem, right? At play in this Puzzle. God, Elokim, spoke to Moshe, and he said, I am Hashem, not I am Elokim, which is interesting. And then he says, Vaera, I appeared to Avra Mitzvah Yaakov. I appeared to Avra Mitzvah Yaakov, Bikel Shakai, which is another name of God. I appeared to them through this name, Ushmi Hashem lo and my name, Hashem, I never told them. So, immediately, right, you see already three names just in the first few psukim, and, and, and what in the world is going on over here, right? What is the difference between all these names? Why is Hashem telling Moshe this? Like, what? It's see, like we're stuck in the middle of the... Come on, let's go. Get to the Makos. Like, like take out the Jews. Like, what, what do you have to explain all this stuff for? So, there are a lot of interpretations, but one of them uh, is found in Medrash Rabbah and says that basically that Akash Baruch Hu was giving Moshe Musr. Because um, at the end of last week's parsha, right, it says a couple times, right, and it says at the beginning of this week's parsha, right, that Moshe is like shocked at how Hashem chose him and doesn't understand why Hashem wants him to go to Bnei Israel. I don't understand. Bnei Israel's not going to listen to me. Paro's not going to listen to me, right? He says at Selo, he told Samecha, right? I told Paro, he didn't listen. You're not saving the Jews, right? So, uh, Moshe is kind of he's not complaining, but he's complaining. He's, he's saying, hey, Hashem, hey, hey, what's going on over here? Nothing has happened. So Hashem was giving him Musr. And he said, listen, the Avos only knew me by one name, this name Kel Shakai. What does that represent? So that name says in Medrash, and Gemara Sanhedrin, and Rashi quotes it, right? It connotes that Hashem promises something. Right? Hashem promised the Avos all these things, that he'll give the Jews Eretz Israel, and the children will be multiplied, etc., etc. And the Avos didn't have any issues. Right, they didn't have any issues with that. Right? The Lashon of the Medrash says, Lo hirher achar bidosai. They didn't question at all. Right, they didn't have any questions, even though none of those promises came true right, in their lifetime. Right, Avram didn't get Eretz Israel; he had to buy a barrel plot for his wife. Right, he didn't have a ton of kids; he had a couple of kids. Right, Yitzchak had a couple of kids. Right, he didn't have uh, you know dust of the earth type stuff. Uh, but they didn't; they didn't have any questions. You, Moshe, though, right, the moment something goes wrong, right, things haven't gone well, you start questioning. Right, you start questioning even before things begin. Again, now obviously, not like I wouldn't never say this, but I'm just I'm just quoting the Medrash. So Hashem gave Moshe a little a little bit of Musar and said that the Ovos never questioned me, right, and, and sacrificed your son, etc. But but you question me, uh, you question me though, uh, and just very simply, just without any fancy, you know, kind of pshatim, 
Pshatlach uh, or whatever, this is tremendous Musr, right? Tremendous Musr, right? Because we do that all the time. Right? We, how quickly do, right, do we question right, a Kosh Borhu when things just like kind of appear to either not be happening or going badly or it looks like Hashem just ignored our Tfilos or... Uh, we always are like, oh, Hashem didn't listen to me again. And it's, uh, but Yechazal always tell us, right, that whenever, everything that Kosh Baruch does, right, everything that Hashem does is for our, for, for our benefit, is for good. Uh, and even, again, we talked about it last week, but even when things seem like they're not going so well, really very often that's just the beginning uh, of the Yeshua, that's the beginning of our salvations. Uh, Rav Mela quotes uh, the Zerah Shimshon, which is, which is the Nach- some people call it the Nachmani, whatever, okay, whatever, commentary on the Chumash. And he says, you see this elsewhere in this week's parasha also. And he says, because you see by, by Makas Dam, by the first, uh, by Dam, right, the Pazik says, right, Vadaga Asher Bayor, Mesa Vayivash Hayor, that the, all, the, all the fish died in the river, right? The, obviously the water turned to blood, all the fish died, smelled terribly, etc. Now this is, again, just a little perspective. This is the first Maka, right? No one really knows what to expect. Right? And sure enough, right, all the fish died. So it says Zerah Shimshon, right, the, uh, the, the Jews complain later, right, when they're in the Midbar, when they're complaining about the mun and the, and the meat or whatever. So they say the Pazik says, Zacharno is hadaga asher achalnu chinam. Right? He said, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt for free. Now, people that understand that Pazik that, that a little differently, right, the different ways to understand, but it could, most, I think, simplest shot is that they were just complaining. They didn't obviously work, it wasn't, they didn't get fish for free. Obviously, they were slaves. But it says, Zarashimshon, they got the fish for free. Why? Because the Mitzrim let them fish and eat the fish that they caught uh, without, you know, taxing them or, or whatever, without any problems. So, if that's true, so the, the first thing that the Jews saw when Akash Baruch promised salvation is he killed off their free food supply, right? And so that obviously seems terrible, right? From, you know, a Jew's point of view. Moshe, again, what are you doing to us, right? You just, Hashem is bringing a maka that just eliminated the one thing that we were able to get for free. Right, again, so... So basically, that and then that was that. Yeah, obviously, we see that the Maka ended up being the beginning of the salvation. Not only that, the end of the Maka caused the Jews to be tremendously wealthy. Right? Again, the Medrash says, I think Rashi quotes it, that the only way that the Mitzvah could drink water is if they paid the Jews for it. Right? So again, it, it seemed at the beginning like it was a terrible curse, but at the end, of, that was actually right. The Yeshua, the Jews, Jews became very rich, and that was the beginning, right, of all the of of them leaving Mitzrayim. And this is how we have to approach life, right? Again, it's, it's not always so easy, but even during the tough, certainly during the tough times, but even during the neutral times when n- nothing is really going on, right? To have a Karsatov and realize that a Kosh Baruch was taking care of us, um, you know, even though it may seem like we're davening and not necessarily quote unquote getting, uh, getting an answer. Okay. Uh, topic number two is a question that needs to be dealt with. Um, I don't remember if I dealt with it last week, though, so I'm going to say it, uh, and uh, I apologize if it's repetition. But the question is, hey, Kayla, how are you? Uh, the question is, Akash Baruch at the end of this week's parsha hardens Paro's heart. Um, I feel a little bit of a misnomer, right? People know that Hashem hardened Paro's heart, but they're not sure. I'm not sure if you ever dove into the text to see, like, when it happened. So basically, Akash Baruch Hu hardens Paro's heart from the Ramban says it's from Maka six and on, right? Unclear if it happens after Barad, but basically for for most of the latter psukim, uh, most of the latter Makos rather, uh, so Akash Baruch Hu hardens Paro's heart, and obviously Paro doesn't send out the Jews, and then Hashem punishes him with another Maka. So everybody asks, I don't understand. 
the whole world, right, Judaism, is based off of the concept of free will, right, the concept of scarva onesh. Right, we choose good, good things will happen. If we choose poorly, so Kosh Baruch will perhaps try and encourage us to choose good in another manner, right, that may not be to our liking, right? But you can't punish someone for not choosing good if, you know, it, it wasn't their fault in the first place, right? How does it, like, if they didn't have a choice, so how can Kosh Baruch send another Maka? How could he punish Paro? That's not fair. So how does that work, right? How in the world could Kosh Baruch punish Paro after he hardened his heart? So there are two main approaches uh, both of them are quoted by the Ramban. Uh, one of them is, is what the Ramban writes as well. And the first one is sometimes you, a person, very few Rishayim, but some Rishayim can sin so much that they lose their free will. Right? They can sin so much that the punishment is a lack of free will, that Yehikosh Baruch takes your free will away from you. And again, this is not us, but this is, you know, the, the Hitlers, the Paros, etc. That at some point, it's so bad that the punishment itself is that, you know what, you had free will up until now, and now you're done. Right? I'm just taking it from you, and whatever you get from now on out uh, is punishment. That's one. So, yes, again, we don't like to talk about punishment. We don't like to talk about, you know choosing wrong and not having an ability to choose because it's not you know it's not like a seminary topic or whatever it is but it can get there none of us will get there in our lives so you don't have to worry about it but says the rambam you can get there uh to the point where you lose your free will as punishment the ramban the ramban does something that's fascinating and he basically twists the entire question on its head and it turns not into a question about the concept of the concept of free will but it turns into a proof uh for the concept of free will and says the ramban you have it all wrong. We understand when Hashem hardened Paro's heart, we assume that that means that he made it so he couldn't choose and that he, of course, he, he didn't let the Jews go. The Ramban says you're starting in the wrong point, right? That assumes that you're starting in the middle, that Paro has free will, and Hashem hardened his heart to the point where it would be impossible for him to send the Jews out. Says the Ramban, you're starting in the wrong place. The Makos made it so easy for, the Makos were so devastating that after one of the Makos, Paro would have definitely sent the Jews out. He would have been 100%, yes, we'll get out of here. Go out of Mitzrayim, meaning to the point where he was did not have free will because he definitely would have sent out the Jews because the Makos were so devastating. The, when Hashem hardened his heart, that brought him back to 50-50. Right? That gave him, Hashem hardening his heart gave him Bechir HaChavshis. Right? Enabled him to choose. And then when he chose again, right, not to send the Jews out, then Hashem punished him because he was back at 50-50 and he had Bechir completely. That's how the Ramban uh, deals with that question. Uh, and he has to be dealt with because otherwise, you know, again, the whole concept of free will and Bechir HaChavshis and right, the, one of the tenets of Judaism right, needs, to be, uh, needs to be addressed. Through this whole uh, through this whole Paro story, okay. Um, Pazuk says, Pazuk says, "V'gamani shamati is nakas pene Israel." Hashem is right. Mavidim osom vayiskoris brisi. Right, Kosh Baruch tells Moshe, "Right, I I have uh, listened to the cries of Bnei Israel, right, and uh, and I'm going to take him out." And so the Melech points out, and, and a lot of the Hasidim pick up, Hasidish Rebbe's pick up on the word "v'gam," right, and I have also right heard the cries. Uh, of Bnei Yisrael. And Ramelech explains that Gam and kind of indicates that also we should also emulate, I mean, we should always emulate Akash Baruch Hu, but the, also the Gam, it, it tells us that when we should, when we feel, hear of a person's misfortune, right, our fellow Jews' misfortune, right, that fills, and we fill ourselves with like a desire to help them, right, a desire to daven for them and aid 
you know, to try to help them out. So then a Kodesh Baruch Hu also, right, Gam, right, listens to our tefillos, right, for our issues. Let's say, uh, I don't know, a person is uh, in, needs some money, right, and they meet someone who's uh, who's also having a hard time, and, and you daven for them to get a job, you daven for them to figure out their pranasa. So Kodesh Baruch Hu also listens to your tefillos for your own issues, for this in the same realm, and also for other realms, but in the same realm. Right, if you know a friend who's struggling, Shiduchim, and you daven for them to get a Shidduch, so Kodesh Baruch Hu will also listen to your tefillos, right, for a Shidduch. Uh, Rav Melech quotes the Ksav Sofer in our parsha. He says, the, the, the Torah says, if you look in the, in the end of, I think it's in Shani, that uh, basically when the Torah is listing off all of the, the lineage of Moshe and Aaron, so it says twice, it says, who Aaron or Moshe? And then it says, who Moshe ve Aaron? Meaning it says Moshe and Aaron uh, in different orders. Right? It says first Aaron and then Moshe, and then it says Moshe and then Aaron. Right, and Rashi says over there because it's because they were equal. Right, that's why Kosh uh, who uh, you know, that's why the Pesach says it's Moshe and Aaron, it's Aaron and Moshe. They're the same. They're the same level. Right, they're equal. Right, throughout the entire Yitzchak Mitzrayim story. Says the Shla, ask the Shla Hakadosh. I don't understand. Moshe was not equal to anybody. Right, the Torah says. Torah testifies. Right, Lo kam navi kamoshe. There was no prophet like Moshe Rabbeinu. Right, even Kosh Baruch Hu himself. Right, when when Miriam has Tsaras. Right then, Aaron and Moshe, uh, Aaron and Miriam uh, get chastised by Gosh Baruch Hu. Right? Hashem says, "Locate of the Moshe, b'chol beisi nemanu pel pel daberbo." Right, and Moshe, Hashem says, I'm, "I talk to Moshe like I talk to nobody else." Right, we spoke face to face, mouth to mouth. Uh, and he's walking in my house the entire time. Moshe was unique. You can't tell me that Moshe was like Aaron. I'm sure Aaron was amazing, says the Shlo, but he couldn't have been on Moshe's level. So what do you mean that they were on the same level? So explains Ksav Sofer that Moshe, yes, Enechanami, that Moshe was greater. But when Aaron stood next to him in front of Paro, and throughout this whole, you know, Yitzhiz Mitzrayim story, right, he was Moshe's mouthpiece, as it were, as Kosh Baruch told him to be. So Aaron was elevated to Moshe's level, right? Because, again, what happened? Moshe came back. Moshe's the younger one. Right? And Moshe comes back and says, hey, guess what? I was chosen to save the Jews. So Aaron, what Pesach says, that Aaron saw him, he was happy. He was without any jealousy whatsoever, even though that Moshe was younger. Right? And, and even though, theoretically, again, being someone's spokesperson is a little bit degrading. Right? It's, it shows clearly that you're second... Uh, right, he's the guy in charge, and you're a spokesperson. So, but Aaron didn't care, right? He, again, he, he gave him himself, right? He was raised up to Mo, as Moshe's equal, uh, and Aaron understood Moshe's impediments, right? And Moshe had a speech impediment, and Aaron, being selfless, agreed to help him, even though theoretically that could be like degrading. So that elevated Aaron uh, to his level, uh, and that enabled him to reach that level. And that's the idea that when we daven for other people, right, when we take other people's plight, other people's struggles to heart, right, and really try and help them truly, right. So that has an own impact on our own lives. I know just personally, you know, this experience with uh, with Eitan has, has enabled me to be, you know, re- to relate and to sympathize with other people. Listen, I, I I considered myself a decent human being, and I thought I was sympathetic and nice before, but I mean, after this, I have a whole new way of understanding. Uh, and relating to people having, you know, this struggle and that struggle. Every, listen, everybody's got something going on. And even though you may not think it's a big deal, for them it's a big deal. Uh, and being able to just to relate to that other person and, and give them the attention and, and just the daven for them even. The, the, the smallest thing you can do is to say a quick tefillah for somebody. Um, or give them a smile or whatever it is, right? Again, just to relate to other people, right? They're dealing with whatever they're dealing with. Um, and if we help them, so then Gosh Barakot turns around and says, hey, listen, that the Vigam, right, I'm also, uh, I'm also going to help you. Okay, uh, one more vort. Uh, again, 
I guess we'll just delve into one of the one of the makos because it's, it's hard to ignore. It just dominates the entire parsha. Um, the pasuk says before Barad uh, that uh, Moshe basically told uh, Paro, "Hayareis devar Hashem henises avadavis mikneu el habatim." Right? If if anybody's afraid of the of the word of God, right? At this point, we had been, we're I think six makos in, so. Moshe says to everybody, listen, he's like, turns to the Mitzram. He's like, anybody who fears God will bring all of their servants and all of their cattle right inside to the houses. Because, again, it's going to be hail and it's going to be fire and ice and it's going to just break everything. So, again, as, as we've explained before, right, very often the Hasidic Sherebas like to look for messages in the plain meaning right, of the words, right, above and beyond, right, I forget the context and the narrative, just the words themselves, right, take the literal meaning of the psukim, right, and they like to, very often, the, the, the device that they use, they like to use, right, is to take the literal meaning of, of the words and apply it to Avodos Hashem. So again, what does that Pesach mean? That Pesach says, Hashem, anybody who has your Shemayim, he nises avadav is mikneu elabatim. Right, he will gather right his servants and his livestock, meaning the people. He will gather the things he's in charge of, the things he has, uh, you know, trying to in charge to taken care of. He'll gather them into the houses. Uh, so says the Imre Chaim, who's one of the Vishnu Rebbe's, right, passed away about fifty years ago. Right, that this is a message to Am Yisrael, that a parent who has years shemayim, right, or a spouse or whatever it is, anybody who's kind of looking out for somebody else will gather their children, right, and the people they're responsible for, right, into the house. Because the outside environment is dangerous, right? It's dangerous when a Jewish child or a Jewish person is left, right, on the outside. And this is what the Sfas Amis writes, right? The Sfas writes in this week's Parsha also. One of the Lashonus of Geula, right, is Vautseti, Eschem Mitagas Salos Mitzrayim, right? We get, that's one of the, we started with the Parsha, right? Hashem will take us out. Right? What, says the Sfas Amis, fascinating, fascinating question. And he quotes the Chidush Arim. Why did Hashem have to take us out? Why couldn't He have just like enabled us to thrive in Mitzrayim? He could have figured that out. Why, why Hashem could do anything? Like, why do we need to leave right, specifically? So says says again. Says That's exactly the salvation. Right, Kashbarko had to take them out of the land of Tuma, out of the bad environment. Right, it couldn't ju- Hashem couldn't just make them survive inside of it. Right? But he needed to take them out of it. Because when they're stuck in slavery, or they're stuck in a bad environment, they're stuck to in struggling with, you know, things that are impacting them, you get used to that. You get used to the, you know, the evil influences, and, and slowly those influences leak through the cracks. Right? That's how he defines Gullus. He says that's the definition of Gullus. Right? That's how why we say, right, you'll hear people say that we're still in Gullus, even though we're in Eretz Because exile is not a place. Right? It's, it's, it's a... It's an experience. It's a mindset. It's it's an environment. Right? That's why we still daven for redemption, even though we live in Eretz Yisrael. Right? Again, we have Yerushalayim. Why do we save Yerushalayim? May we return to Yerushalayim. We live in Yerushalayim. Why would we say that? Yeah, because we live amongst not only amongst millions of Arabs. We live, we live amongst you know culture and society that's unfortunately not conducive necessarily, not always, to uh, you know Yerush Shemayim uh, and Yiddishkeit. Right? The secret of Geula of of redemption is that a person understands that they can't continue to live like this, right? To stay in the bad environment, no matter how strong they are, no matter how strong they think they are, right? They have to leave and they have to make sure they're in a place with good chaverim and good friends and good influences. This, says Ramelech, is reminiscent of the Gemara Sacham, and Daf Mem. Right? Again, uh, we're getting into the Daf Yomi next week, where we tell a Nazir, a Nazir is someone obviously who, uh, who swears off wine, uh, for whatever reason, right, whatever it is, but a person, you know, saw something inappropriate, they want to make sure that they don't get to that point. Anyway, so the guy swears off wine, says, I'm not going to have wine for, let's say, I don't know, a month. So we tell that person, the Gemara says, we tell that person to stay away from a vineyard, right? We don't just say, okay, don't drink wine. 
We say stay away, the language is stay away from the vineyard. Because a person needs to avoid the environment. You have to avoid the temptation, the influence. Right? We've, again, we've discussed many times right, that uh, a person just has to be aware of the society and the influences that uh, are around them. Right? Put yourself in a proper environment that will allow you to thrive. And, and you know, sometimes it's as simple as you know, not going on XYZ social media site. And sometimes it's much more difficult in, in terms of choosing who you hang out with or you know, where you go to school, etc., etc. Uh, but a person has to think about the environment they put themselves in and take the proper precautions you know, against what are ostensibly are uh, Egyptian influences uh, that permeate you know, all, 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 all of our societies, wherever you are pretty much, um, in the modern world. Okay, that's it for now. Uh, and we'll Mr. Shem, see you guys next week. Good to see everybody. Kayla, how's Florida?